Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. On Sunday, the British actor Daniel Kaluuya won an Oscar for his portrayal of Fred Hampton in the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. I spoke with him just before the film was released in February, and we'll listen back to that conversation later this hour. First, a new photo exhibit, POC, Punks of Color, is on view along the West Side Trail of the Atlanta Beltline, part of the Georgia Fence Project. Photographer Arvin Tempkar followed the local collective Punk Black in 2019 to showcase people of color who are fans of punk music. When City Lights producer Summer Evans spoke with Arvin Tempkar, he talked about when his interest in punk rock began. You know, I've always been into rock and roll. Um, my dad worked for the Army, and um, we moved around a lot. Um, and I actually spent a few years in the Atlanta area in middle school or elementary school. Um, and I was really into Fox 97. I don't know if you are from here and remember that station. It was like an oldie station that played like 50s and 60s music. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my introduction to just rock and roll in general. And when I went on to high school, I started getting drawn to punk rock because I was kind of, you know, felt like an outcast and I was kind of angry and I was, you know, I was just kind of drawn to like the attitude of of punk rock. Do you feel like there's a clear distinction between punk music and grunge? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the kind of punk that I was drawn to, like in the early 2000s, you know, I felt like that was a lot faster and, you know, I was kind of into more of the poppy stuff, the more melodic stuff. And Yeah, I definitely think like in terms of like if you're going to compare like um, the Ramones or uh, the Clash with somebody like Nirvana, I think there is a distinction. Mm -hmm. I was talking to my husband about this last night and he said that grunge music is a little bit slower paced, a little bit depressed, a little bit angrier where punk music's just like kind of in your face, fast paced, just like kind of silly lyrics. Uh, Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with that. I, I think that's what I was drawn to it, like the energy there's like a lot of energy and I feel like going to a punk show is like one of the most kind of energetic and kind of um, fun kind of concert experiences that you can have. Who are some punk bands you listen to now? So I, I kind of just listened to what I used to listen to when I was growing up. You know, some of the bands that I really loved growing up were like Rancid, the Dropkick Murphys, they're an Irish punk band. 
Gaslight Anthem, bands like that. And all of those bands you'll probably notice are like super white. <laughs> right. So this exhibit explicitly looks at Afropunk bands. Did you listen to any Afropunk bands prior to photographing these people? No, what drew me to this scene was I moved to Atlanta from San Francisco. And I just had this experience for much of my kind of life going to punk shows in the States like being one of the only people of color at the shows. And it's something that you can kind of feel. You know, I went to a Flogging Molly show in Oakland with my friend who is half Japanese and Flogging Molly is an Irish punk band. And I really love them. And we were happened to be standing next to a couple of Latino guys and we kind of made eye contact. And one of the guys was like, oh, look, we found each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's just something you kind of notice. I mean, you know, it's just an experience um, for people, I think, uh, when they're going to some of these mainstream punk shows. So I came to Atlanta and I found out about Punk Black. They're a collective here that organize um, shows by bands of color. Um, I was just like super excited to hear about them. Um, and I wanted to kind of start documenting the scene. I felt like it would be very visual and I felt like a personal connection to it. Yeah. Why do you think the concept of Black punk music seems so foreign? In mainstream society and just in our cultural thinking, we think of certain types of music as being kind of related to various races or ethnicities. So like you just kind of think of rock and roll and punk rock and country music as like very white genres, which is really interesting because in all of these genres, there were there have always been black musicians who, who are like kind of integral to the to the birth of this music. I know that for country music, um, it's really interesting because when people started coming down to the South to record country music, they found that they could market the music better if they um, kind of separated like race music, like blues and stuff from hillbilly music, which they said was like, I mean, which, you know, the recording artists were like white recording artists. But in fact, there were black and white artists who were who are recording all of the same songs. Um, so I think part of it is just like marketing and what grew out of that. Do you think there's a rise in black punk culture? Well, I think, you know, Afropunk, um, which is another organization that kind of started out in, in the black punk scene and world kind of helped popularize in the culture, this kind of idea of black punk, but it's, it's always been there and I don't know if there's a rise in black punk, but I think there is definitely a rise of people of color being in these spaces, whether it's punk rock or rock and roll or country. Um, and I'm, I'm just like really interested in country as well. So I can like, you know, I, I feel like there are a lot of examples now of black country musicians and it's like the same kind of idea where, you know, people are like, oh, that is not what I expected when in fact it's kind of been there all along. Right. Little Nas X comes to my mind, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm sure there are other black country musicians prior to him, but 
I feel like he really brought it to the forefront of like, hey, this isn't a black or white genre. Like I can sing, you know, what I want and it doesn't matter the color of my skin. Yeah, definitely. And I think like just that representation is really important. Um, So I'm half Filipino and half Indian. And I was just reading about um, an Asian music producer who kind of got his start in the industry playing in punk bands. He was a drummer in punk bands and he said it was so hard for him to find a band that he could stay with. He kept like, you know, nobody wanted to play with him because he says that they didn't think he looked like their heroes. And he just had a really hard time with that. And now he's a music producer and he's helping all these other musicians of color kind of make it through this industry. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. So can you describe your exhibit Punks of Color and what the images showcase? Mm -hmm. So Punks of Color is an exhibit that I made when I was following Punk Black um, over the summer of 2019 to various shows that they were putting on around the country. So there are, um, I think there are images from Atlanta, Chicago, and D.C., Um, And some of them are concert images and some of them are, you know, kind of behind the scenes. Like I think there's a photo of somebody spray painting, you know, a t-shirt, which is like super punk rock. Um, And then there are also portraits of people that I met at the concert. And I decided to put the portraits together with some of the other images because I wanted to showcase like not only like the the concert vibe and, um, you know, the energy, but also the individual and, you know, how special it is to be an individual in the scene. I chose the diptychs by um, finding images that I thought spoke well to each other. There's another image here uh, where one of the band members is wearing a hat that says, make racists afraid again, uh, kind of a play on the MAGA hat. And there's an image of of a guy, um, the portrait of the guy kind of looking surprised or, you know, he he has this interesting look on his face. And um, I felt like those, those two images like paired well together. I know some of them are like screaming at the camera. Did you prompt them to do that? Yeah, so that was um, a singer for a band. And this is, you know, she was screaming on stage and it was like so intense and emotional and awesome. So I asked her, uh, you know, just sing for me or mimic what she was doing on stage. Yeah, you can really feel that coming through. Can you describe the collective Punk Black? Yeah, so they're an organization that facilitates concerts and shows and, you know, various events. It's a group of people who are kind of bringing these bands together and creating this community. They're like, they've got a really big social media presence and a really big um, community of people. And it's not, they're not just um, about like rock or punk music. They're also kind of interested in nerd culture, um, cosplay and, and politics. All of the photographs are black and white with directional, like really bright lighting. Did this style add to the intensity you're wanting to convey? Yeah, so I mean, I chose to use that style because I feel like it's um, reminiscent of like classic rock and roll photography. And it's also like really in your face, which is like what punk rock is all about. And I chose black and white because I felt like that was just a classic way to portray what was happening. Was that uh, representative of looking at more of people of color doing punk music? And that's why you chose black and white? You know, I didn't even think of that, but I love that. And (laughs) (laughs) you can take it. I'll take it. It's it's uh, but really when when I was thinking about black and white, I was thinking because you know, I'm not I'm not black or white. Although I think everybody in in the images that I show are are black. Um I have images of Asian people and Latino people and stuff like that as well. So when I was 
making that kind of decision to use color or black and white. Some of these images are published on, on BuzzFeed in color, but um, for my own artistic purposes, I, I prefer black and white because I, I feel like it gives it that classic punk rock look. Yeah, definitely. It, it's more intense, like just with the shadows and everything like that, it brings out that intensity in punk music. In an arts ATL conversation, you described yourself as a walking identity crisis. What did you mean by that? Um, so like I said before, I'm half Filipino and I'm half Indian and I grew up kind of all over the world. My dad worked for the army. So I spent some time here in Georgia. I spent some time in Illinois and I spent some time uh, in Japan on an army base. And then afterwards I kind of moved around like bouncing from coast to coast and um, you know, New York to California. I lived in Guam for a while. Um, and so all of these, you know, all of the things that people typically kind of um, draw on for their identities, like where they grew up um, or, you know, their ethnicity or race are complicated for me. So it's something that I, I think about a lot um, as to like my, my place. And so that's part of why I'm really drawn to just kind of American culture in general is that I find that, you know, out of all of the things for me that distinguish me, one of the one of the things that ties everything together is this idea of being American. Mm. When following Punk Black, did you feel more at home by photographing them and going on tour with them? Uh, in some senses, I did. Um, you know, I felt very happy to be documenting this scene that I wasn't familiar with before and that I felt like was really, really important in terms of representation and in terms of bringing community together. It's like, it's so strange that uh, in punk rock, which is a community of people who feel marginalized, you can feel marginalized within that community, which is something that, you know, I felt and I thought it was really great that punk black was bringing all of this together. And at the same time, um, I'm not black, I'm, um, you know, Asian. And so, you know, there's, there's also that kind of cultural difference in traveling with the organizers. Although I think there's definitely like solidarity, you know, it's, it's a different cultural experience in some ways. Photographer Arvind Temkar, his new exhibit, Punks of Color, is on view through June. It's part of the Georgia Fence Project along the Atlanta Beltline's West Side Trail. In a moment, a conversation with the British actor Daniel Kaluuya. He won an Oscar Sunday night for his portrayal of Fred Hampton in the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. 
at Sunday's Academy Awards ceremony. The British actor Daniel Kaluuya won an Oscar for his portrayal of Fred Hampton in the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. The movie tells the story of Bill O'Neill, a black man faced with two options, go to jail for several years for stealing a car and impersonating a police officer, or infiltrate the Black Panther Party for the FBI. He's given the assignment to gather any and all intelligence on Chairman Fred Hampton, the charismatic leader of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. In February, just before the movie was released, I spoke with Daniel Kluya, who plays Fred Hampton. It's not a it's not a question of violence or non-violence. It's a question of resistance to fascism or non-existence within fascism. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. feel so honored to talk with you. I just am a tremendous admirer of your work and cheered when you were nominated for that Oscar in 2017 for Get Out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, speaking of Get Out, that movie was essentially a horror film. And having just watched Judas and the Black Messiah, I wondered which you thought more terrifying, the machinations in Get Out or J. Edgar Hoover in real life? I think um, I think what black people go through in, in the Western society is absolutely horrifying. That's how I feel. And I feel anyone that enforces that, you know, people that instigate horror. He, he's a monster. And that certainly comes through resoundingly. Well, no, no, but Lois, what's scarier? He's a human being. Oh, no, he wasn't. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> he's a human being. That's what's scary. It's like, it's kind of going, he's a human being can do monstrous things. And when we understand that and understand that, then we can deal with it. You know what I'm saying? If we other them, then we're just going, oh, there's a monster. That's not so like, no, there's a, Edgar Hoover's out there. He's out there. He's, he's, a, he's a man. It's a man with an agenda. You know what I'm saying? And with fear, with fear, with deep fear. And it's just understanding that, with, with, if you don't deal with your fear, people will be hurt, you know, and um, and people will suffer. And there's generations of black people that have suffered as a result, not of monsters' behaviors, as a result of white fear. Though your perfect command of American English does not reveal it, you are British, born and raised in London. When did you learn about Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party? Late teens early 20s running around and then um kind of i remember seeing uh, the date of chairman fred the date he was born and the date he was assassinated going that doesn't make sense how old is he how old is he what happened like and then uh, and then going on wikipedia hunt and going oh wow he really was 21 and then reading up about that 
briefly and knowing that later on in life, I really do want to take a deep dive in it. Because this really is something that belongs in history books. At the very young age of 21, Hampton was a brilliant organizer. He formed very unlikely alliances. He was a fantastic speaker. And he embodied the revolutionary vision he believed possible. Daniel, your interpretation of Fred Hampton in this movie conveys a gentle person, a sweetness, which isn't the first thing one associates with a gun-toting revolutionary. Would you talk about bringing out the vulnerability and the softer nature of Fred Hampton? Again, Lois, he's a human being, you know? And someone that deeply loves their community and deeply loves their own and deeply loves himself. When you're in, in your bed with your woman, you're, not, you're a man that's in the bed with, with your woman, you know? And it's, it was so important to show that side in this narrative to, to so that the public can see who was assassinated, you know? That, to see it from his perspective, to see it from the Black Panther's perspective, not from the establishment saying that this is a terrorist organization or that it was they were gun-toting revolutionaries and they were carrying guns because it's legal to carry guns in America, you know? It, it was, and then they were protecting themselves. They were protecting themselves and protecting uh, their own. Well, the film brings out so much of the good that they were trying to do, combating hunger, providing better education, health care they wanted for their community. Chairman Fred's ideology inspired the Black Panthers to give back to the community. And in contrast, we see how the FBI special agent Roy Mitchell compares the Black Panther Party to the Ku Klux Klan, saying they're the same. They just incite violence on different sides. What, what are your thoughts about that comparison? I think it's a window into how a lot of um, white people think about the Black Panther Party and white people think about black people who love themselves, is that if you take care of yourself and take care of your own, it's taken in a way that you are, they, they take it personally in a sense that it's an attack against them because of how they see you, you know? And so, and I think it was incredible. It was so important within this film to show a window into that perspective, to show it, to kind of go, this is what they think and this is what they did. You know, how can you compare, compare the Ku Klux Klan to these people who um, did so much good for their community? And it's just to show it and go, you, you, you figure it out, you know? I read that when you're feeling especially lonesome or in need, or facing a very challenging day of work, your comfort is calling your mom. <laughs> and that scene you did with Jake Winter's mother is one for the ages. Daniel, I saw that your background initially was in improv. Mm -hmm. Do you draw from any improv techniques when you're in a scripted role such as this? Yeah, I think it's the foundation of, of what I do. You know, it's like the, one of the biggest things you learn in improv is just listening and reacting. 
You know, it's not not having a prepared. This is I'm going to say the line like this. I'm going to listen to how you say the line, understand how I feel about it, and then I'm going to say it. So it's if someone decides to say the line differently, I can't say it the same. It just ensures presence. You have to stay present. You have to stay clear. And also in especially I used it on Judas of understanding that like in certain scenes, one of the like ideas I had when I was doing improv, like when you're in your head, you're dead. You know, if you're overthinking it, you're out of you're out of it, you know. So you kinda of, I just stayed in my body and stayed in it. Amazing. Do you still write? Yeah, I still write. Yeah. I guess your career trajectory has been very impressive in recent years with your acting. Do you aspire to more writing and even directing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like my mom said, you can write when you're 50. <laughs> you can act when you're 50. No, she was just like, go out and get it now. Like, you go and get it now. You got to get it now. But like, I, th- I can see myself like growing into more behind the scenes. I, I enjoy that. I really do enjoy it. Like, because I- I- it's truly creative. And uh, but yeah, like I- I'm blessed to be in a position that I have the option. I exercise it. Well, your portrayal is just magnificent. And I thank you so much for this opportunity. I look forward to your next film. Thanks so much, Lois. Actor Daniel Kaluuya. On Sunday, he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah. The film is stunning. For the past decade, Community Farmers Markets has worked to provide Atlanta with a diverse, interconnected food system, promoting healthy food, sustainable ecosystems, and living wage working conditions. Katie Hayes is the founding executive director of Community Farmers Markets, She is here now to talk about some of the organization's recent initiatives. Katie, thank you for Zooming in to join us. Thank you so much for having me. What can you tell us about the partnership of Community Farmers Markets, Fresh Marta Market, and the nonprofit Urban Recipe? Well, I'm so glad you asked about that because it's one of our newest initiatives that we're very excited about. We saw an increased need for food security at all levels throughout the 2020 year. So we've partnered with our friends at Urban Recipe, which is one of Atlanta's oldest food pantries. They used to be located in Grant Park, and now they're housed at the Old Food Bank building. And we worked with them to develop a partnership where we can offer free food pantry staples at all of our Fresh Martyr Market locations. And at each of those locations, you'll find our fresh local food stand that has produce, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. And then adjacent to it, we have our free food pantry. And so families can come and get different pantry staples, such as rice or pasta, um, to supplement the fresh food that they're getting from the Fresh Murder Market stand. So we're really excited about this partnership because it creates food access for anyone that needs it. It's not based on economic need. The only thing that you have to let the people know at the stand is 
how many members are in your family. And I believe they ask your age as well. And then there's free food available. Wow! So we're really excited about the partnership because it creates access for anyone. And then in combination, we also offer a snap match program at all of our markets, but this fresh smarter market too. SNAP is a supplemental nutrition assistance program, formerly known as food stamps. And the EBT card is the electronic benefits transfer card that people use when they are utilizing SNAP. And so you can come if you're an EBT customer and swipe your EBT card and get double the value um, at the Fresh Martyr Market too. So if someone comes to the Fresh Martyr Market and let's say wants to spend $20 on their EBT SNAP card, they can get $40 worth of produce at the stand. Wow. Yeah. What prompted the decision to expand your offerings to include non-perishable goods like rice, pasta, and canned goods? We just, we've seen an increasing food insecurity rise in Atlanta, especially during COVID-19. Many more families are struggling to get the proper food that they need to feed their families, and especially when it comes to healthy food options. Uh, we've seen some amazing programs pop up in Atlanta, like the free fridge program that's happening in a few communities around town. Concrete Jungle, uh, a local nonprofit that we work with, has also been doing delivery of, of free food. Um, and obviously the food bank has expanded their programs quite a bit. And so we, we saw a need to provide more affordable and free food options, um, and also to meet people where they are. You know, one of the biggest barriers in Atlanta to food access is location and transportation. Many people don't have access to a car, and, and that access has become even more limited with the increased unemployment rates and, you know, issues surrounding COVID. So by providing these food pantries in the MARTA stations, we're meeting people where they are in their daily commute. Food pantries are another joint initiative between your organization and the partners. Will these be pop-up pantries or will they be ongoing? So the Fresh Morning Markets, um, they each operate one day a week per station right now. So they are more of a pop-up. Than, than a traditional grocery store that's open, you know, every day. But we do plan to expand the hours of a few of the stations, um, starting with our largest station, the Five Point Station. So it's currently just on Fridays from noon to four, but we'll be expanding those hours a little bit later in the season. Virginia Highland residents have something exciting to look forward to, a new weeknight market at the local Farm Burger. We do. We're very excited to be partnering with Farm Burger and the Virginia Highland District on bringing a new fresh food outlet to that community. Last year, Community Farmers Markets created a virtual marketplace where shoppers could order local organic produce. How did that move respond to the needs of the communities you serve. We very quickly launched an online platform last year to serve the most vulnerable populations in Atlanta. We, I think within two weeks, had built an online platform for 
ordering and pickup um, and operated that for several months where you could have contactless pickup of farm fresh foods and local artisan products at all of our locations. As more research came out about how the virus was transmitted, we slowly began to reopen our farmer's markets because as we all know now, being outside in the open air is much less of a risk for exposure. So we, we used that platform in the interim while we were figuring out how to safely provide food for as many people as possible. That program transformed into what is now our CFM general store. So one of the, one of the things that we found out while people were ordering online is that they wanted more access to products at our smaller markets. So the CFM general store now carries our vendors' products from all of our markets at our smaller markets. So you can always find a, a great selection at each one of CFM's markets. What precautions will remain in place to keep vendors and customers safe? Well, we've been following the CDC guidelines from, from day one. We think it's really important to work both with the CDC and other farmers markets around the country to make sure that we're keeping customers, vendors, and our staff as safe as possible. We have a, a variety of precautions that we take, and we always keep our website up to date, which is www.cfmatl.org. So um, if anyone ever wants to look at our safety precautions, they can go there. So it's not as much as a, a community gathering space as it used to be, but I still find that I, you know, I get to see friendly faces from behind masks every week. And, you know, for me, it's my only, my only social outing uh, at all these days. And I still, oh. I still find that it's, it's still nice to see, see all of my neighbors and community members, even if we're not picnicking and, and catching up on long conversations. So. Long-term, the mission of Community Farmers Markets Atlanta is to make a sustainable, meaningful impact on the local food infrastructure. How do these new initiatives bring you closer to realizing that? Well, we think that the main barriers to food access are availability, so that's different uh, distribution sites and transportation issues throughout the city, affordability, and awareness of the markets. So we work in conjunction with all three of those barriers to find solutions to that. So the first is, is distribution. Uh, so we try to create as many food access points as possible, and that we do through our outdoor farmer's market locations, but also our fresh martyr markets. In addition to the new Virginia Highland market, we're also working with our friends at Pittsburgh Yards to open a farmers and artisan market there, which will be launched early summer or late spring. And so we'll have 11 to 12 distribution points this year. And as I mentioned before, the transportation in Atlanta is, is a huge divider, especially amongst economic lines. The Fresh Martyr Market Initiative really meets people where they are. Um, where they commute every day. So we try to find distribution points that are easily accessible through walking, biking, public transportation, and increasing the number of sites over time. And then the next is affordability. So we work with our partners like Wholesome Wave Georgia to 
match the, the SNAP program, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance, to provide this uh, basically fresh produce for half the price. And we also have other partnerships to create um, educational incentives. Anyone that participates in any of our programs basically gets $5 free to visit the farmer's market. The third issue that we tackle is awareness. And we do that primarily through our educational outreach. Um, we work with place-based community centers like schools and senior centers, after-school clubs, to help educate folks on how to eat seasonally and locally. And a lot of that work has been moved online because of COVID. We're not obviously not going into schools or senior centers right now. But, you know, there's been a lot of silver linings throughout this past year, a lot of innovations and adaptations that we've done in our work. And one of those is, is our educational programs. Because we have moved so much online, we've been able to reach even more people than we typically would. So I imagine that in the future, we'll continue to have a hybrid of in-person and online classes. And we're also hoping to build an outdoor classroom at our, our East Atlanta Village space where we can have educational classes whether or not there's a pandemic going on. <laughs> so we're currently looking for funding right now to do that project as well. Katie Hayes is the executive director of Community Farmers Markets. Learn more about their new offerings and partnerships on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org slash donate and become a member right now. And thank you.